So this morning, before we go to the Word, we'll go to the God of the Word and ask Him for a fresh touch from Him, have our ears unclogged, our minds cleansed by the blood of Jesus, our tongues purified by the fire from the very Lord's presence, that any man could even think of being worthy to preach the eternal word unless he is first cleansed by the fire, empowered by the Spirit, that he may be even counted worthy to handle the word of God. So cleanse us, sanctify us, both to speak and to receive, O Lord, thy word. Speak, Father. Speak, Father. Speak. We look to you, Lord, the author and the finisher of faith. We sit at your feet, spiritually like Mary, not busy here and there, but busy at our Father's business. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we turn first to Luke chapter 19, verse 13 in KJV. And see the commission God has given to all his children, everywhere, all time, till the moment he comes. And he called his ten servants, ten signifying the perfect number, the number of his order. So he's calling all his servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. If you look there, Nothing is mentioned there about the nature of the servants, where they are male or female, whether they are single or married, where they are healthy or sick, poor or rich, young or old. None of these things matter. None of these things matter. To all his children, all God tells is, occupy till I come. And also you will see that when he tells us to occupy, we know we've been looking at it for ages. When he tells us to occupy, he's not telling us to occupy in our own strength. He never says that. That's why he told his disciples, wait until you receive power. Wait. Okay. So we occupy in his strength, in his power, not in our strength. And people hear that first word, occupy, and they jump, and they realize they end up as a failure, because you cannot occupy. Unless you bind the strong man, you cannot plunder his goods. And you cannot bind the strong man without the power of the one who overcame the strong man. Okay, that's why Paul talks about, I want his resurrection power. Okay? So we turn to First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Okay? It's interesting. We are God's fellow workers, meaning we are not just God's workers, we are God's fellow workers. Means God works with us, side by side. That's what it means. So finally, if we overcome, we are Christ's joint heirs. Join heirs with Christ Jesus. So right from the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we don't have to turn there, when God had laid out his plans for humanity, 
He is saying that you will work in partnership with me. The earth and the fullness belongs to God. But he said, I give it to you and you shall subdue and you shall rule, you shall reign. That's God's plan. It is an even after the fall. It's an incredible act of grace. A God who doesn't need anything or anybody. But he includes us and invites us to come on, work along with me. Not because of anything that we have. You see, if I want to start a partnership, let us say a business partnership, I got a, I got a good idea. I want a business partnership and I will look at it and say, hey, Dr. Richard, would you like to invest in my company which I want to start? Startup. I want to start, but I cannot go up because I don't have the money. So, Dr. Richard, can you? So, who do you look for? You look for somebody who's got money. If it's in business. So if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, and Haggai 2, 8. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord, your God. Also, the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them. You above all the peoples as it is this day. He said, you are the poorest of poor. You are slaves. Everything. That is created, belongs to God. So God did not call me to partner with him because he looked at my resources. You want a business partner? You pick somebody who's got money. And God said, I didn't call you because you got money. You got money. Okay. In Haggai 2.8, he says the gold and the silver are mine. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of the host. So when God is inviting a man, he's not picking up for a Bill Gates. He's not looking at a Bill Gates or, uh, no, he's not looking at them. He doesn't want, usually, you know what, because you have to get this picture very clear in the church. Because in the church, and James will be very tough about it, we are the first pastoral church that is written. Yes, a lot of rich people in the church who had property and houses sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's the right thing. They laid it. But he always told the shepherding flock, the elders, be very careful that you do not treat the poor and the rich differently. Differently. Because God's invitation is not to the rich people. God's invitation is to all people. So he says, be careful that God did not. If a rich man is included to be a co-laborer with God, he should humble himself and say, Lord, I look into your word and I see it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. So you have extended me more grace than the poor man. Because he said those who are poor, he has made them rich in faith. Rich in faith. So that's how we have to look at God did not call us because we were rich. Isaiah 40, verses 28 to verse 30. And then Psalm 21 and verse 4. Got it? 40, 28 to 30. Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. What is he trying to say that? You know? When you are when you are picked up for certain positions like you know, bodyguards and special this thing and all, you are picked for your strength. 
But even the stronger shall faint and be weary. And after killing the thousand Philistines with the the jawbone of a donkey, he was weary and he was about to die. Even Samson grew weary to the point of death. But we have a God who never grows weary. That's what 28 says. He never, look at verse 28, it's talking about God. He never grows weary. He never, he's never his strength is never depleted. Neither faints nor is weary. So what is God saying? God is saying, when I asked you to partner with me, I did not ask you to partner with me because you are strong. That I need your strength. Because we want strong people to partner with us. Strong people and we know this charisma and personality and strength and all that. God says, no, I don't need all that. I don't need all that. Okay, so please remember when God calls us to be co-laborers with Christ Jesus, it is not because we are rich, because we are strong. And Psalm 21 verse 4. Oh, 121, not 21, 121 verse 4. Behold, he who sleeps, Israel shall neither slumber nor sleeps. Meaning, even the strongest men slumbers and falls asleep. Even the five wise virgins slumbered. God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He did not call me so that I could take care when he is sleeping. He says, no, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. Because we are looking at strength. One, physical strength. Second, sleep is a strength of weakness, a sign of weakness. And if you go to John chapter 5 and verse 17, 5.17, Jesus answered that my father and my, my father has been working until now and I have been working. What does he say? He says my father never takes time off. He doesn't need a break. He doesn't need a break. All his co-laborers take a break. The father and I never take a break. We, we, we don't need a break from, we never get tired. We never get weary. We never take a break. So he says, please understand you were not chosen because you were a workaholic. You could work tirelessly. I was looking for somebody like that. Boy, I got found somebody who is a workaholic. God says, no, I didn't pick you that. Because we look at our special qualities as to why God chose us to be a co-laborer. God says, no. 1 Corinthians 1.25 and Job 21.22 Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. He says, I did not pick you also because I needed some input from you. I saw your degrees, Harvard, Princeton, I saw all that and I said, okay, I need this guy. I need this guy. I mean, he, he can be my counselor. Bible says, who can counsel God? Who can counsel God? Yeah? Job 21, 22. Can anyone teach God knowledge? <laughs> so please, these are three big things of humanity. Riches, strength, and knowledge. God says, you know what? I don't need anything. But I humble myself and call you my co-laborer. Come. Work alongside with me, with my son, through my spirit. And occupy what I give on it to you. NIV, Second Corinthians twelve nine. On the other hand, he invests his riches, his strength, his wisdom in us. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you. For, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So Christ's power may rest on me. And if you look at their weaknesses, Paul and all, they were absolutely sure they had no physical strength. And he begins from a point of weakness. From a point of strength, he's brought to a point of weakness that he has to be led to the city. Okay, they come to a point where they have no physical strength, they have no money, and they disclaim all their early knowledge. And then the power of Christ rests upon them. And they are stronger Roman emperors and kings tremble before them. Tremble before them. When they speak, they tremble. Prison doors are flung open when they sing. Because the power of Christ is resting upon them. So please, never ever get it wrong when God says, Occupy till I come. He needs anything from us. No, he wants us to work along with him. So right from the beginning, he's looking for people who will partner with him. Occupy till he comes. And that's the reason the Holy Spirit is given. And we shall, he says, you shall occupy. And you will see pictures of it through it all in the Old Testament. You see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who are aliens and strangers in a foreign land. Yet nobody defeated them. Nobody ever defeated them. The terror of the Lord was upon the people. And if you look in comparatively, they were a small group. Very small group inhabited in a land by people who were kind of hostile. But they never lost a battle. Never lost. And in most cases, like Isaac never even had to fight a battle. His enemies were afraid of him. Because they saw the hand of God upon him. So we will see that God was only looking for people who would partner with him so that and they occupied no when moses finally agreed one man aligned with god with god's purpose it changed history god was just looking for somebody who would align with him and waited until he was weak until he would not claim to any knowledge from the university of egypt and he said he had no strength and reached that point god says now we can work together and exodus 420 will show that what he took with him represented God's wealth, God's strength, and God's knowledge. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. That represented everything he needed. It represented God's strength. It represented God's wealth. It represented God's power. It represented God's knowledge. And you will see that rod did that whole thing. So he was working with God. And he easily brought Israel across the Red Sea. The funny part about it is that they did not even have to throw one stone at the Egyptians. One stone they did not have to throw at the Egyptians. Everything was done by God through Moses. And in Exodus 15 verses 2 and 3 and then 6 and 7, Moses in that song will declare this. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And verse 6 and 7. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. What did the people see? Moses. 
Can you see anything of God physically being manifested? It all manifested through an old man, 80-year-old man with a wooden stick. And this is the battle between light and darkness. <coughs> the power of God and the power of darkness. And remember, only one side wins. <laughs> that is the side of God. Only one side ultimately wins. The side of darkness will never win. It may pretend it is winning, but it's not actually winning. It is losing. And he has called us to join the winning side. That's how you occupy. Call him. You know I have won the war. It is over. It is finished. One day his defeat will be manifested to every. Now it has been manifested only in the spiritual realm. One day it will be manifested in the physical realm too. So if you are smart, you will work with me. You will work with me. Don't get fooled. In Romans 8, 31, God says, If God is for you, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 57, 557? No, 5, I think. Did I get it wrong? Yeah, 1557, sorry. 1557, not 5, 1557. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 2, 14, how does he give us victory? When does he give us victory? Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. He's talking about spiritual victory, of spiritually occupying. So the devil knows this in 2 Corinthians 2.11. God says, be careful about this, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, of his snares. But once... We have knowledge of his devices. Once we know what he is planning and what he is operating, then, if see, if you have advanced knowledge about what he is going to do, that's what we see in the Old Testament. Whenever they had advanced knowledge of what these wicked kings were planning, then the plans fail. And that is what biblical knowledge to the Holy Spirit is. He gives us advanced knowledge of what the enemy is plotting and planning. But without that, without the spirit of God, that's what he's talking about. Wait, he's the guide. He's the power source. But with him, you will win the battles. Please remember you're not fighting flesh and blood, he says. So be very careful. Know the enemy's schemes. You're not fighting flesh and blood. You're fighting powers of darkness. Remember, you know how to fight in the flesh. It is pointless. You cannot fight like that in the spirit. Your weapons of warfare are mighty in God. They are not carnal. So be very, 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 very careful of his schemes. Numbers mean nothing in this battle. Only whether you are aligned with God or not. Abraham was had such a small force. God picked up a bunch of slaves from Egypt to show his power. Slaves. They never fought a battle in their life. All they knew was with flashes, subdued in their body and in the spirit. And with them, he brought a great victory. 
And if you look at all the people, whether it was Joshua or the judges in the book of Judges or in the beginning King Saul or Jonathan, David, everybody, when the Spirit of God came, they could not be defeated. And even when we lose battles, we'll lose some battles in life. Everybody will lose quite a few battles in life. Yet victory is granted, guaranteed. Proverbs 24.10 to his children. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Okay? Strength is, he says, I have promised you strength. A day of adversity will come. And it will come like the Bible says, <laughs> the righteous man will fall seven times. But, every time God will lift him up. So he says, you don't worry. Even in your defeat, victory is guaranteed. If you believe in your righteousness is from me. So the Bible is very, very clear about it. Know your enemy. Unless, otherwise, the, if the, they say in English, knowledge of the enemy, half your battle is won. Half your battle is won. We win because we know our enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you cannot win. You, that's what Paul will also say, I am not fighting aimlessly. Okay, you need to know your enemy. And the Bible, we, we don't have to keep going back over and over there. It talks about our strength and it talks about our enemy in Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 12. Both sides, the nature of the enemy and the nature of the power that is given to us, shown to us. 6, 10 to 12. Yeah. Still waiting. Okay, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So you, you see, the nature of his attack is not physical. It's not primarily physical. We, we will be expecting an arrow and a sword and a spear and a gunshot. and It's not that. It's, it's trickery, deception. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age. Every age, you have to remember, rulers of darkness of this age, and we need to have discernment about how in the age they are also changing their tactics and how they are changing. The powers of darkness are the same from the beginning, but they will change tactics, like, oh, you look back for like 500, 100 years, 200 years of photography, you will suddenly realize clothing has changed. Yeah, we all don't dress like uh, we used it has changed. So in the same way, you will also realize the entire this culture that is changing behind that are powers of darkness. So we need to understand the spirit that works behind these things. We have to be very, very careful because the devil is very good at what he does. Because he knows, if you know this truth, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principality. He doesn't want us to wrestle with him. He doesn't want to wrestle with him because he knows it's a dangerous game. That if you know the truth of Christ and we wrestle with him, he knows he's defeated every time. So he doesn't want to keep us fighting him. But he knows we ca he can't keep us still either. So he uses his deception. Because the minute we start fighting among ourselves, he knows our defeat is certain. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, all these things start setting in. So instead of fighting with God, we actually end up fighting with one another. Why is the church so powerless? It's not because God's word is not there. 
The word is preached more than ever before. It's the Holy Spirit not given, he will pour it upon all flesh. What he never did in the Old Testament, he is willing to pour it upon everybody. Why is it so weak? Because of the schemes of the devil. We are so busy using all the strength and energy resources we have got to fight one another. Spiritual army pattern is very beautifully given in Joel chapter 2, verse 7 and to 8. What an army should look like. You don't need much numbers to fight like this. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. There is no pride there. They don't break ranks. They go like one unit, like the Republic Day parade. That's a parade, but they fight also like that. They marches in formation. Nobody breaks rank. They do not push one another. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they launch between the weapons, they are not cut down. They are not cut down. Nobody pushes. Jostles against one another. Nobody pushes one against another. Think about a man. If on the other hand, think about an army. In that army, one is fighting with his wife, another with his boss, another with her mother-in-law, another with his brother, and they all come to church and sing, Onward Christian Soldiers. The devil also relaxes and he says, I like that song. You understand what's happening or the wiles of the enemy? And people do not realize, people always ask, why is there so much more conflict in Christian homes? Because they are the only ones who can defeat the devil. The Hindu home cannot defeat the devil. They neither have the name nor the power. The Muslim home cannot defeat the devil. They neither have the name nor the power. The Buddhist home cannot defeat the devil. They neither have the name nor the power. Only the Christians have. They have been given the name and they have been given the power. So what does the devil do? He says, you do one thing. I, I will help you to fight. Why don't you fight among yourselves? Why don't you fight among yourself? And that's exactly what happens. And this is what the Bible is talking about. Why is the church not able to occupy? Why has the enemy taken over practically everything? We are supposed to be the light on the hill. On the other hand, it's not. The airwaves have been taken over completely. The news, the media, the entertainment, education, even religion. Look at all, like look at the largest church in the world, which is the Catholic Church. And you have this entire clergy. And you took one archbishop from Vatican to actually openly. He must be very old and they must have, like they can't do anything more to him. So he had to write open letter on June 7th, public letter to Trump to tell you exactly so. There is a group in that also he's fighting for the truth and fighting for God. Well, most of it has been taken by a clergy which has been taken over by darkness. So he's written it very openly. And everything he says is what we have been saying. Everything that he has written in the letter is stuff which we have been saying. So there are people in every church who knows what is happening. And you take guts. I hope it doesn't end up in some gutter in Vatican dead. But that's all I happen to people. Whenever they try to speak about the actual things that are happening in the back background, they suddenly disappear. Right? So there is a battle that is taking place. and But we primarily fight our battles at two levels. 
Our first battle is at a personal level. Galatians 5.17. We have to win at the personal level. Otherwise, we will not, even if we win at the public level, it is ultimately will become worth like, like Samson. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. Okay, and we see that in Samson's life. So God says there are two battles you are fighting. First, you have to occupy yourself. Meaning, you have to occupy yourself until I come. You can be extremely victorious outside and be defeated inside. And Paul is very clear about it. After having preached, I don't want to be disqualified. He is very clear that I am powerful outside. God is using me as his vessel. I can win the battles. I mean, he realized with the anointing and the knowledge God has given him, nobody can withstand his arguments. Everybody knows. So that's why they are always trying to beat him up. Always trying to beat him up and chase him out of towns. Because if you really know your argument is very, very powerful, then you don't have to burn down the house. Whenever people resort to violence, you, you need to realize the argument is weak. Argument is weak. When your argument is strong, you don't have to, because it can stand on. That's one of the things. It's not like you have this camera sitting or standing. The camera cannot stand on its own. That's why you have your tripod. The only one thing that can stand on its own, that is truth. Truth doesn't need anything to prop it up. Prop it up. That's why Jesus said, I don't need a witness. I am the witness. My father is the witness. Because I am truth. I am truth. I am truth. Okay. And these are things which we need to understand. First, we need to our fight constantly. Constantly. Our personal battles. Constantly our personal battles. Then we win the outside battles. And when you are fighting outside battles, remember, you are fighting powers of darkness, principalities, rulers, and their servants on earth. There is an unseen realm and there is a seen realm. Look at Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses... So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. So Paul knows he's fighting in at two levels. His internal fight is, but he also knows everywhere he goes, there are men who have joined hands with the enemy. And he has to resist them. And he says that's what Moses also went. When Moses went over there, he, he didn't have to win over Pharaoh first. He had to win over the Pharaoh's magicians. They were the props he was, they were, he was using to resist Moses. Resist Moses. If they had laid down their rods the first time and told the Pharaoh, this is God's man given, probably wouldn't have hardened his heart. If the first three times when they replicated, he hardened his heart. So you need to understand there are powers of darkness and there are their uh, servants on earth and they work together and harden the hearts of men. Because all of Satan's power, unlike God, God is sovereign. He doesn't need anybody. But not Satan. All of Satan's power is useless on earth unless he finds men and women to partner with him. He couldn't do anything in the Garden of Eden until he got Eve to agree with him. That was useless. 
He must have been coming, going, coming, going, coming, going. Nothing is happening. He can't do anything. He needs a partner. God on the other can wipe everything off and start all over again. He doesn't need anybody. He's sovereign. So you need to understand the devil cannot work with unless he finds partners on earth. And some are ignorant partners. Some are knowledgeable partners. So you have Janus and Jambres. We don't have their names in the book of Exodus. But Paul knows what their names are. So from the beginning, the devil has been trying to co-opt humanity. And by the time we come to Genesis 6, he has co-opted everybody. Okay? To his diabolic plans. That's why you have to be very careful because you can be actually outwardly religious, yet be actually working for the devil. Outwardly religious, but actually inwardly you might could be working for the devil. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. Jesus had no issues with naming and shaming. You are of your father the devil. I mean, you can't get a bigger insult than this. Here are the ones in all their glorious robes and topis and everything, walking as servants of Yahweh. The son of Yahweh comes and says, you got it wrong. You are not serving my father. You are serving your father, the devil. You know whose servants you are? You are the servants of the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. So the thing is that, how do you know somebody is serving God and how do you know somebody is serving the devil? Look at whose desires they fulfill. Whose desires are they fulfilling? We know the desire of God. We know the desire of the devil. And you look at their work and you will see whose desire they are fulfilling. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Okay? So Jesus was very clear. Paul was very clear. First Timothy 1.20 Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan. That they may learn not to blaspheme. Handed them over. Second Timothy 4.14 Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Okay, so you need to realize. <laughs> See, people have some very, very, what, very uh, sentimental view of ministry. It's because you do not know what you are encountering. The kind of powers of darkness you are encountering. And these were genuine people. They were loving people. They were compassionate people. You can't have more compassionate man than Moses in the Bible. Okay. One lifting of the rod and bringing it out, he finished hundreds and thousands of people off. He didn't say, oh, poor things are dying. Should I send somebody to help them? Nothing. Put his hand down. They were gone. He literally stood there and watched, I don't know how many hundred thousand people dying, and didn't lift a finger to help them. Okay. So please understand. Okay. And Jesus' indictment of the religious leaders, okay, not with the poor people, 
the sinners, the prostitutes, the tackle. He was absolutely kind and compassionate. But the religious leaders, he knew exactly with whom they had joined hands with. And he called them. And Paul, even the apostle John, would call out people within the church who he knew were messing up with the people. Okay, Because you are fighting. You have to fight. And I was tickle pink when I saw the letter written by the archbishop. What was his name? I'll tell you his name. Mario. I have his name also here. Archbishop Carlo Mario Vigano. And he was a papal nuncio. Papal nuncio means he's a very important position. He was the ambassador from Vatican to Washington earlier. Remember, of all our ambassadors, the most prominent ambassador is the ambassador to Washington. Everybody in the IFS waits for that day. That means you have reached your peak in the hierarchy to go to Washington. So he was the papal representative to Washington. And he is written as scathing. It's an open letter actually exposing what's happening. And he talks even the pandemic was planned to destroy. And he's actually quotes saying, the children of darkness are fighting against you, President Trump. I will pray for you and the, and the First Lady, the Freemasonic Lords, and all their plans to destroy the world. God is on your side. Absolutely, you should read it. I'll post it if you want. You should read his letter. <laughs> I was tickle pink when I read it. I said, okay, okay, at least in that church also there are people, there are leadership who really knows what is happening, what is happening. Okay, so we need to realize we are fighting a spiritual battle from the top onwards. There are people involved in this, a spiritual battle. And this battle cannot be won without knowing what we are doing. Otherwise, we are like sheep led for slaughter. So, in James 4, 7, James gives us the key. He says, there is no other key. This is the main key. This is the main key. Submit to God. Submit to God and resist the devil. You cannot resist the devil without submitting God. If you're not submitting, if you if you understand this is the thing, if you're not submitting God, you're submitting to the devil. There is no third party there. Only two parties. There's only realm two and realm three. If you are not submitting to realm three, you're submitting to realm two. You, are, you cannot say, I did it my way. The devil will say, yeah, your way and my way were the same. Thank you. Just thank you. No, you didn't know your way. I had the copyright. There is no other way. There is no other way. There is no other way. Submit to God. Submit to God. And resist the devil. So in our internal battle that we fight, in our internal battle we fight before we go to our external battle, Romans 12, 1 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 4. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says, begin there. Begin there. Begin there. Don't get fooled with the success outside. You lose here, you have lost it. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. So he says, constantly fight this battle for you have been equipped by the Holy Spirit for that. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. In First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, he will bring that into a very simple yet complex level. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for the food. He says, your stomach, your appetite decides many foods. And there are many foods for the stomach, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He again brings the body over there. And if you look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, again Paul brings it over there. It says, remember, you have to win this battle. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now telling you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Because it is carrying your cross, you allow the Holy Spirit to overcome. Otherwise, it does not happen. Whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly or stomach? Whose glory is in their shame? Who set their mind on earthly things? So the entire spectrum of the body is brought over there first. Win your battle in your body. And in Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, it's not enough that you win your battle for your body. You have to also win your battle for your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. This entire world, everything that you are seeing, you know, you're seeing. Why have the people are occupying the streets? It is because their minds have been occupied by the ideas of this world. Ideas of this world. Ideas of this world. Ideas of this world. You will always see something about human history. Not a single nation that came into power through violence has really ever had peace. Never. Never. Had peace. Gandhi understood it very well. That's why whenever in our freedom movement there was violence, he stopped the movement immediately and went on a fast. The violence we faced was after independence in the partition. And the partition rights has left its wound till today. It's still what is being played out in the streets. What happened during the partition. Not what happened during the entire hundred years of independence movement. From 1857 it began. That failed completely. We tried a sepoy mutiny. It was crushed by the British using the Indians. It didn't work. But 1947 when we won... It was entirely through peaceful means. Absolutely through peaceful means. The wounds that have never healed and will never heal is because of the partition rights when hundreds and thousands died. Killed and butchered. Stories that are told are unbelievable how trains were coming in from Pakistan full of dead bodies and trains were going into Pakistan full of dead bodies. It's written in blood. An entire movement was hijacked. Entire movement of 90, 100 years of incredible, mind-boggling movement controlled by one man. You see, that's what's happening in the U.S. U.S. in the old movement, there is no leaders. There are no leaders. So the mob takes over. In India, for our freedom movement, we had real leaders and we had one leader and the entire leadership was righteous. Leadership was righteous. And they revered that leader. 
So you need to realize when you're fighting these battles, remember the devil loves violence. Loves violence. Because he knows anything that is birthed in violence will only continue to birth more and more violence. You know, spiritual laws established by God. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. So people will all talk about the Arab Spring and all. What happened to the Arab Spring? Everything was crushed. Nothing happened. And if it succeeded anywhere, like in Libya, it's every day is a battle. Every day it's a battle. That's what God is talking about. You have to win these battles, ideological battles in your mind. Mind. And a lot of people struggle. And a lot of men struggle. A lot of women struggle within the church. I'm not speaking to the world. I was never called to speak to the world. I was only called to speak to the church. They all struggle because they do not realize you don't think Christian purely. You have humanism that is mixed in. You have feminism mixed in. And that comes out. And God will not allow truth to be supported with another idea. He says, it's me. I am the truth. He will not allow any socialism to come with truth. He will not allow communism to come with truth. He will not allow any of those things. The church has to stand on its own and it becomes the pillar of truth. The foundation of truth. Men and women struggle within the church. And they don't realize the struggle is in their mind. Struggle is in their mind. And the struggle is with ideas. And the ideas are not kosher. It doesn't agree with the word of God. So we have to win both battles. Then we win, become an effective battle axe in the hands of God. Evil spirits are not afraid of us. They are not afraid of us. They are afraid of Christ. They know who we are in Christ. Or they know who Christ is in us. They know who we are in Christ or who Christ is in us. In Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in the glory by Christ Jesus. They know the riches of Christ, the strength of Christ and the wisdom of Christ. He's not bothered by my riches, my strength or my wisdom. But he knows Christ. In Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 15. But we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him, who is the head Christ. So devil is, hates growth. Because you know it's dangerous. Christ grows as anyone, his story is done. He's not afraid of anybody. No man is he afraid of. He knows we have nothing. He's not afraid of President Trump, or President Xi, or Vladimir Putin, or Narendra Modi. He's not afraid of any one of them. He's afraid of the smallest saint who gets on his knees. He's afraid. Because he knows the power of Christ. And scripture says we should not be, meaning the devil is not afraid of the infants in the church also. Who are the infants in the church who throw temper tantrums? What do infants throw tantrums? My way, my way, my way, 
my way. Why? The church is full of infants and he's not afraid of them. What can infants do? Imagine all the play schools are open and then you have this, you know, Independence Day or Children's Day and all and the mothers all dress them in military uniform and little cap. Are people afraid when you see this in, in camouflage and fatigues and all little toy guns and come over there? Are they? No, is the devil afraid. You think fasting and prayer meetings are not going all around the world day and night? Is anything happening? Nothing. He's not bothered by all that. Because he knows you are all along fighting among yourselves. So what's the big deal? Keep praying. Infants don't scare me. Keep praying. Keep fighting. Please understand, we are in a battle. Real, real battle and this is not play. This is serious. It will cost a generation. It will cost nations. And God says, Lord, why are you not doing everything? I said, I give, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. I give you the keys of the kingdom. You do it in my name. What can I do? In my name, you are so busy fighting each other. So he's called us to occupy till I come. And that's why at the end he called and three groups are mentioned. The third fellow comes and says, I know this is who you are. So I wrapped your gift and kept it. Or a hard man. It was just an opinion. Opinions don't matter. Only truth matters. So God calls us to occupy. God calls us to fight. And how do you occupy? How do you fight? Look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 7. An incredible verse. 31 and verse 7. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob. Shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim. Give praise. And say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. In every generation there is a remnant. It's talking to specifically about Israel. Spiritually we will talk about us. The, 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 the Israel of God. Okay, the Israel of God. That's the church too. It's spiritual Israel. And there is a spiritual Israel for 2000 years. Every generation there has been a remnant who stayed fast to God. And they had three battle weapons. One was shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim. Give praise. And O oh Lord save your people. What is that? Prayer. God says, I give you three weapons to fight. Praise, proclaim, and pray. Can fight. And then you can sing with gladness. O oh Lord, save thy people. All this has its own place. Praying is our contribution to the outworking of God's purposes on earth. And God has chosen. And he has said, I will meet you. I will meet you when you pray. No? We, have, we, we can, prayer is, prayer is not the place where we take our needs primarily to God. Prayer is the place where you discover God's will for us. Then pray it through. Then proclaim it through. Then fight it through. Our prayers are like, that's what Jesus said, don't pray like the Gentiles. Your father already knows what you need 
What is Gentiles' prayer? I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. You shouldn't be people like that. Look at uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27. He says, Gentiles pray like that. You also pray like Gentiles. As if you don't have a father. They can pray like that. They are orphans. But you are not orphans. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So God says, when you come to pray, you spend time with my Spirit so that he will reveal to you what is the will of God. So teach us to pray. He said, this is how you need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Meaning, I got a dad. Dad knows what you need. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. And each generation has to discover what is the will of God for their times. And pray accordingly. Once we have discovered the will of God, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice now for prayer. And we proclaim. And once we have discovered the will of God, time is irrelevant. Time is irrelevant. Because you have discovered the will of God. That's where Abraham and I, Sarah went wrong. Ten years in the promised land, they decided to have a child through the maidservant. But they did not actually discover the whole will of God. You've been in, if your prayer has not been answered in 10 years, what does it mean? You are 10 years closer to the answer. That's all it means. Because God is not bound by my time. He's not bound by my time. Once you have discovered the will of God and you are praying, then time is not a factor. Time is not a factor. You still continue praying and you still continue proclaiming. You dec- you f- once you have discovered the will of God and God has spoken to you and you know the will of God, then he also, scripture says in no, Second Peter chapter 1, that you discover the promises that are connected with that and you proclaim that. That's where there is proclamation. In Psalm 102 verse 18, Hundred and two verse eighteen. This will be written for the generation to come, a people yet to be created. May praise the Lord. No? A generation. They were prophetically looking at the last days. The last days. A generation will rise up who will praise God. Who will praise God. Or other words, who will bring praise to God. They will proclaim, they will pray, they will praise. They will praise. Right? On Sunday we looked at that, right? In the Hindi. How do you know somebody is alive? Because he breathes. That is the sign that you are alive. The very sign that you are alive is the fact that you breathe. That's why even in the ICU, in the coma, they don't declare you dead because you're still breathing. (laughs) And that's the first thing that God did in the Garden of Eden with Adam. And he did, Jesus did in the upper room. What did he do? He breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And that's why the Holy Spirit is called breath. It's called ruah. It's called the breath of God. So there are two kinds of people on earth who breathe and who breathe the Holy Spirit. You breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. Spiritually speaking, it's the Spirit of God. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath should do what? But is everybody praising God? So it's not only George Floyd who said, I cannot breathe. Most of the people on earth cannot breathe. And most in the church also cannot breathe. Because if you can breathe, you can praise. You will praise. You will praise. You will praise. They could beat him black and blue. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Nail his body onto the cross. But he could breathe. He could breathe. He was still praising his father. Can you breathe? Let me tell you, difference. Sad George Floyd died like that. But I'll tell you what would have happened to America if he had died a different way. If the last words he uttered was caught on the mic was not that I cannot breathe, but was the words like Stephen. Or like Jesus. It should have been a different thing. Father forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Lord do not lay these sins. It would have raised the moral conscience of that nation. It would have been unstoppable. That's what happened in India. That's what happened in India. You know the British law was that you cannot make salt. It's an act of civil disobedience. Gandhi said, we shall make salt. But it shall be absolutely non-violent. So you have crowds of people standing in line to make salt and they're getting beaten by the police and being taken into custody. But nobody's raising a hand. And the entire British Empire was shaken because they knew this was Christianity in practice. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, show the other. Don't raise your hand. So he used a weapon from the kingdom of God and brought that empire on which the sun does not set. Actually, it was reported in the uh, newspapers in Britain. Our time is up. You cannot fight this. You cannot. You can always fight riots with violence. Send in the cops, send in the National Guard, call in the army, but you cannot fight the kingdom of God. It can never be defeated. That was the difference between Martin Luther King and today's crowd. That's why we'll always see people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King will be assassinated because they are a threat to the kingdom of to the kingdom of darkness. They get assassinated because the, they don't want leaders like that because they will really bring change. They really bring change. 
So we also need to have discernment to see through all these things. But the question to, we have to ask ourselves is, can I breathe? Because scripture says that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. The very fact that we have breath does not mean we are living. The Lord of dead men and women walking on earth. How do you know you are spiritually alive? How do you know you are spiritually alive? By your breath. That everything that has breath, because it's a weapon. It's a weapon of destruction, mass destruction in the enemy's realm. It is through praise that we occupy our situations in life. It is through praise we change our situations through the Holy Spirit. Because we breathe in the Holy Spirit and we expel powers of darkness by the power of the Spirit. Literally. That's what happens. You expel powers of darkness. That's the power of praise. Because scripture says he's enthroned in the praises of his people. You have to learn how to fight from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he will not even ask you to pray. He will just ask you to praise. Sometimes he will ask you to pray. Sometimes he doesn't ask you to praise or pray. He will ask you to proclaim. Because he is the battle axe. He is the one who wields the axe. The devil is not afraid of us. He's afraid of the Christ in us. The walls of Jericho did not come by anything they did. It just came by the power of praise. It did not come because they walked. <laughs> then they should have come down the first day itself. They didn't have to walk seven days. It's not because they walked. It's because they obeyed what God said. But ultimately God said, you do need to do something. When I tell you to shout, shout. It was a shout of praise. It was praise that brought the walls down. And then what they did do? They occupied the city. You cannot occupy a city which is guarded by walls. You cannot occupy a situation around which the enemy has built walls. If you have to occupy that situation, you have to bring the walls down. And sometimes walls can be brought down only by praise. Only by praise. It won't come down otherwise. You have to look into your situation. What has been walled? Why has my breakthrough? Why has my blessing been walled in, Lord? And the Holy Spirit will say, I prayed all this. He says, yeah, you have prayed, but you didn't listen to me. If you had listened to me, I would have told you it's time to praise. Right? In a dark, dingy dungeon of a prison in Philippi, there were hundreds of prisoners sitting in the dark, chained. And they've been there probably for many days, months, maybe years, no, we don't know. And suddenly in the midnight hour, the door was open and two people were brought in. And they were locked up in the middle, strategically positioned by the Holy Spirit because you need to believe all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus are called according to you. So even your cell is picked by the Holy Spirit when you go to prison. Not you, not the jailer. Because if the hand of the heart of the king is in the hand of the God, then the heart of the jailer also is in the hand of the same God. He positions you 
over there and I found right they were in the middle. The middle of the prison. They were right there in the darkness. And they decided to pray. And they decided to praise. Scripture says, everybody's chains came off. Scripture says, all the doors fell open. Scripture says, every window, everything was open. If you had asked, Paul, Paul, what are you doing? He would have told, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. As long as I have breath, I will praise the Lord. Nothing is going to stop me. I will not give the devil the joy of a sulking face. I will not give him joy. My job is to give joy to my God. To proclaim the victory of Christ everywhere. Every day God gives us breath to occupy. Because praise occupies the inhabitations of darkness. It occupies. God has given. Can you imagine there are, let us say there are one billion believing Christians in the world. And all of them decide every day to praise through the day whatever they are doing. Do you know everything will start changing? There will be an immediate pushback of the powers of darkness. If people decide to praise God. You should read what I had read in the 80s or 90s. Merlin Carruthers, Prison to Praise. Incredibly powerful book. Entirely about praise. And every day God gives us breath. That's the first sign that you are alive, right? It's not that your eyes open. <laughs> Your eyes open because you have breath. <laughs> okay. We are all sitting here because you are breathing. Now, even when you are sleeping, you are breathing. Hmm? Every day God says, I have given you breath. Would you just praise? In Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise. That's happening on the physical realm. Everybody is singing. Nobody will sing and praise in a situation like that because the enemy is so huge, massive and vast. But they have been told just to sing and praise. So they believed. They sang and praised. And scripture says the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. Two are the product of Lot's contribution to society. Okay. Who, the fellow who went to prosper in the world, no? <coughs> he went to Harvard and brought up Ammon and a mob. Who had come against? Come against? Praise. Judah. Come against? Praise. And what are people, Judah supposed to do? Praise. And they were defeated. You see, when we praise, God sends ambushes among the enemy. Total confusion. That's what is happening. And I believe that's what the church should do. They need to pray. All those who are in hand with God, they'll be confused. And they will do stupid things. Stupid things. Like that yesterday happened in the Congress. It looks like the most stupid thing I ever seen. Everybody wearing all these whites, wearing this African thing and standing like this. And then one lady, four people had to lift her up. And all the Africans are laughing at them. 
different things. And you need to realize these pictures go around. You cannot take these pictures away. <laughs> Silly thing. How? I mean, this, this is what we call in politics tokens. We don't want tokens. We want substance. Substance is, yes, you need to have genuine police reform. Because police should never, ever forget. They work for the same people they police. You are not two different entities. You are one. The police always have a, this, let's say like India, no? The minute you get a government servant and you ever, ever you are a peon, you think you are different from the people. Then it is authority, power. No. Nobody should ever forget you are one nation. The police serve the people and the people honor the police. Okay? That's the way it should be. So there should be reform. Reform. Because some of the police uniform and the SWAT team and all you see in America, it's as if they are fighting Taliban. Taliban. They definitely need police reform. Because some of the, some of the laws of America, no, are like treating your own people as if they are, uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists. You have, they have called no warrant, uh, I, I can't exactly remember. They have a law in there, this thing in some certain states, which is called, uh, uh, no warrant order. You know what it means? That means they can break down your door and shoot you. And they have shot many people like that by mistake, because they knocked on the wrong door. Broke it open, the fellow was sitting over there in his recliner watching TV and they killed them. But they get away because there is a law which allows them to do it. Nonsense. Police reform has to be there. Has to be there. Because like they say in English, let a thousand guilty escape. Not a single innocent should die, should be punished. That's the premise of law. Because we don't have to worry about, we have to worry about the innocent not getting, you know, how many people have been incarcerated for years and years, then new evidence come and they're released and they throw money at them for compensation. What happens? Even if you got a hundred million dollars, can you return his thirty years of life back? You can't. So the law also has to be very, very careful. Very, very careful about how you do it. Because especially because you are a Christian nation, claim to be a Christian nation and not a Gentile nation. Because if you are a Christian nation, you need to understand no criminal will ever escape. There's a day set for every criminal. It's called the day of judgment. But we need to see that no innocent is punished. No innocent is punished. So we need to understand what the church needs to pray for. And how the church needs to fight this battle. And the church's job is to praise God. Continuously praise God. Whatever you are doing, praising God, praising God, you know what powers of darkness will be dispelled. Because it's a powerful weapon. Scripture says, Jehoshaphat went and prayed, put it over there. God said, I heard your prayer. Don't worry. What do you need to do? Get the Levites, get everybody, start marching with praise and singing. It sounds such idiotic thing, right? But that's it. And we see its application in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Where have anybody heard prison doors falling open, chains falling off? And you still have to believe it still happens. And it has happened for many of many. Of, that's what people, when they get to see what is this guy talking about? How many of our pastors were under the law, black criminals, sentenced 
for 15 years, 20 years. And how did the message reach them? A message reached them. They believe, they get saved. They fill with the Holy Spirit. And in their isolation chambers, they sit there, they start praising God. And within days, the jail doors are open and they come out. Who opened the doors? The same God who opened the gates for Paul and Silas is still on the throne. He hasn't changed. Changed? No. And that's that's God's prison reform. Okay. That is his justice reform. Because once a man has been in jail, but he has encountered Christ Jesus, and he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's a new man. The old record has been taken away by God. So God says, go out and now preach. And they, many of them became wonderful servants of God. Brought in others off the streets. You know? That's the power of the gospel. Power of the gospel. And I challenge any prison system. Put speakers in your prison and let them just hear the gospel. 30 day challenge, 60 day challenge in their own languages and see what will happen. People will change. That's the power of the gospel. Things will start changing. Play gospel music. Let them hear. And you will realize the power of God's word. Suddenly out of the prison will come a praising and a powerful people. Out on the streets. That's what God was trying to do. And tell the world. That's why he picked a bunch of slaves. 450 years of slavery. And said I will show. What a people. Who are filled with the presence. And the power of God can do. To change the world. And that's what he does in the kingdom of God too. We were all slaves of sin. And Jesus comes. 11 fearful people of 10 were only there on that first night and he breathes upon them. Says, as the father sent me, I sent you. And after that they were not breathing like normal people. They were breathing the breath of God. And praise can change your situations. Look at 2025. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take over their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And there were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Three days. One day, the finances changed. Economic situation of Israel changed in one day. It took them three days. To carry the spoil. You know what this actually means? At the end of the third day, the seventh millennium also will be over. New beginnings, new creation. Every man that was born on earth, God created him. And he all were gifted by God. They never used it for God. On the eighth millennium, when it begins, he will take that three years, gifts of men, and give it to those who are faithful and say, serve me with. You, he had, he had how many? Ten. 
One, he made it ten. Take from that fellow who did not use it and give it to him. They said, Lord, he has. God says, you will see what. This is the transference of wealth we are talking about, not physical. There's a transference of spiritual wealth that will take place. When God will take all that he gave it to people who never used it for his glory and give it to those who used him during this lifetime and says, reign in eternity. Let you have a multiplicity of gifts and my riches in your life because you are faithful. It took them three days gathering the spoil of the enemy. That's why he says the gold and the silver are mine. So we are not looking at anything with eyes or flesh. We are standing our course with looking with eyes of faith, knowing one day that's why God says if you are faithful in little things, you will be put in charge of great things. That's why I say 61 verse 3 says, put on the Garment of praise. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. Consol- to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of So many people are depressed. I've never seen depression so much in the church, like a time like this. Depressed. I mean... God says, I understand. He says, you know what? Simple praise is not enough. This kerchief praise is not enough. You need to put a robe of praise now. The more the attack, the more the praise. I'm sure Paul and Silas were singing loudly at that. That's why everybody woke up. All the prisoners were listening. All the prisoners. You have to put on the garment of praise, a time like this, right? Pandemics, economic downfall, nobody has any hope. Government is pumping in money, nothing is going to happen with any of those things unless God decides and God's people decide. God will say, will say Lord, what are you going to do? He will ask, ask my people, because I gave it to them. They are not praising, they are as depressed or more depressed than the world. When they put on the garment of praise, I will change the situation over here. How will you change? Because I will come down. You will come down? Yes, I said I enthroned myself in the praises of my people. I will change your situation. He says, put on the garment of praise when the spirit of heaviness comes on. Praise even more. Put on your headphones. Sing along. Make a joyful noise. I feel laugh there now. Isaiah 38, verse 18 and 19. For sure cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. And the father shall know, make known your truth to the children. The father should tell the children, this is what you need to do. Praise. Praise. Because the dead cannot praise. There is no concert in the graveyard. He says, it's a living. And God says, are you living? Can you breathe? He says, if you can breathe. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what he's talking about. Are we living? Are we living? That's what he told the ten. Occupy till I come. 
The question is, we didn't occupy. So the airwaves have been taken over by the enemy. Just if we taken over by us, like we talk about seven pillars, all has been taken over by them. Even the religious sphere, we are talking about Christendom, has been taken over by the fakes. Now they are selling anointed sanitizer also. Send an offering and we will send you anointed sanitizer. I know sanitizer kills COVID-19 virus. What does the anointed sanitizer do? What, it anoints the virus? Such frauds taken over the airway. And the same people keep on buying every new product they peddle. Their houses will be so many anointed things they have bought from these people. Nothing seems to be happening in their lives. Every TV program, they will sell something new. In the old Wild West movies, the snake oil salesman used to come like that. Old black and white movies, you have to say, this fellow will come in a horse carriage and he will say, no, this one, remedy for all your sicknesses. And he will have this nice smooth talk and some garbage he will talk about how it was made rare. Some of the movies have to say, this was rare herbs from Himalayas. You take this, is it arthritis? Is it, no, all those days diseases had different names and all that. No, They will sell these things. And the hucksters have come on TV. That's what I said, they have taken over everything. They have taken over education. In the most supposedly Christian nation, what is being taught is leftist communist ideology. It's all leftist ideology that is being taken. How did that happen? How did they take over the school system? Movies, music, entertainment, sports, you name anything. It's been taken over by them. How did they take over? You know why? Because we vacated that space. We vacated that space. When you vacate, is it working? We lost internet. Okay. Don't forget to record, okay? Okay. Sit, sit back. No, it's gone. It's recording, okay? So don't worry. We'll upload it once it is done. So the question is, are we occupied? Are we occupied? No? Are we occupied? Turn with Genesis, uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2. I'll just take another 5 minutes. It's 10 minutes and... Yeah, 1 and 2. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord... Again, it's the Holy Spirit. Set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. So the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel, pulled him out in the spirit, brought him into the valley. The valley was full. What does it mean? The valley was filled 
with bones. You can be filled and yet occupying nothing. When you talk about occupy, the Bible is not talking about filling. It is talking about having an impact. Ruling, reigning over that situation. That is what occupy means. Sometimes it can be like that. The valley is full. The valley is full. Imagine a church. Church is full. 10,000 people. But they are totally ineffective in the world. Are they full? Yes. Are they occupying anything? No. The only thing they are occupying is space. So there is a valley full. Absolutely full valley. It's a valley that is full. Absolutely full. Totally useless. Reason? They were very, very dry. Very dry. So it does not make any difference. If you go to verse 9 and 10, if there has to be a difference, we are not called to fill halls and fill stadiums. We are called to occupy on God's behalf. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from four winds, O breath. No, the number four, remember four, okay? O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them. They lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. What changed? What changed? Just the breath. Let everything that has breath, praise God. Suddenly everything changed when the breath of the Lord came into that situation. Everything changed. That's basically what is happening. What are you using your breath for? What are you using your breath for? Suddenly everything changed. Right? Imagine you were, like four or five of us sitting over here. Imagine we were among those prisoners. We were locked up in Philippi that night. Lost hope. They have filled the prison. Fill the prison. Every cell is full. Overcrowded. Overcrowded. Okay. They don't want to tell, they don't want to tell the facts because if you tell the facts, the facts go against you. What did they do? They used the pandemic COVID-19 as an excuse and opened up all the prisons and released all the criminals. So, the crowds they were marching and among them they were looters, rioters, thieves, still also were among them felons who were released. So was this all a setup? We didn't release in India with 1.3 billion. No prisoners were released from prisons. They are still all lying in prison. They released. People onto the streets. Now this prison is packed. It is filled. Useless. Full, but useless. And two men were brought there in the night. They decided, we will occupy this space. We will occupy this space. You know why? Because the breath of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord was upon them. It was upon them. And they opened their mouths. Things started happening. That's what the Bible is talking about. It is not enough. Only 120 were there in the upper room. What can you do with 120? 
And they have been given a commission. What is that? Go to the ends of the earth. 120. Then the breath of the Lord came upon them. That's all that was needed. And one among that 120 came all the way to India. And the most hard-headed people in India, the Mallus. The most hard-headed among, among the Mallus, the Nambudris. And he managed to convert seven families. From there it is started. Till today you go to any corner in India, there are Mallus preaching. Who started it? That man called St. Thomas. One man upon whom God breathed. You go anywhere, even Gujarat, anywhere, any corner of North India, any part of India, you go. There is a Mallu, preacher. Then he poor man went to Tamil Nadu. They didn't like him, they killed him there. The Mallus welcomed him, the Tamils killed them. But God will not allow the blood of his saints to go away. So the second set of, you go anywhere now, there is a Tamilian preacher. Anywhere, the second troopers who went in are all Tamilians. Then came the Telugus. <laughs> no, Telugu and all, it took a long time for the breakthrough to come into the other countries. Karnataka hasn't been breached yet. It's not been breached. One of the most resistant southern countries, states. It's Kerala and Tamil Nadu that was breached. And then Telugu land. Karnataka is still opposes. It's not easy. Huh? Yeah. The gospel is not easy. This is a battle. But when the Spirit of the Lord, so if you need to ask, how can a nation be saved? Breathe upon us, O Lord. We are all dry. We are full, Lord. Churches are full, Lord. But a valley of dry bones. That's why he says, Ezekiel, can this live? He says, you know, Lord. (laughs) I can't prophesy about churches. You know, Lord. He says, breathe upon them. Breathe upon them. Breathe upon them, Lord. Breathe upon them. Can you imagine what will happen? An army will stand on their feet. Army will stand. Scripture says an exceedingly great army. Exceedingly great army. I was hoping to see at least a few videos coming from US with white pastors and black pastors and Hispanic pastors arm locked and locked with their congregation singing, we shall overcome. Oh, that would have been a different picture. I saw black pastors marching. I didn't see them all coming together as a community that we have no race. In the kingdom of God, there is no color of skin. We have no race. Oh, what a picture it would have been. The white, the black, the brown, the yellow. All colors and singing. Praises unto a God. Not that we can't breathe, but we can breathe. And we will breathe out praises unto our God. That in every situation, we are not defeated, we are overcomers. The church has to portray a different picture and not go with the mainstream. Because we will not go with the ways of the world. We will not. We will not. Because they will, all the world will always push us to mold to their pattern. And we don't mold to their pattern. We bend our knee. We take a knee. Yes, we take a knee to our God. We bend our knee to God for the kingdom and for his purpose. And we have no racist bones in our in us and should not have. Should not have. That's where America failed. America failed is because they were not able to breach the gospel. 
they kept themselves divided. So you have like nice, nice white churches, nice, nice black churches, like the Mallus. You go the Syrian Christians anywhere in North India, even here in Sakandrabad they have, you go over there, you don't see a single other person over there. They are like Semitic. We and ourselves. We don't want anybody else coming in over here. That fails. It's the Pentecostals who went to the North India and all who brought the others in and went and reached to the people. The others didn't do it. The same thing happened in US. White churches and Hispanic churches and black churches. No, there are nothing like that. I, that's why I like, one thing I like of Times Square Church. You have right there bang in the middle of New York with people from 127 nations worshipping there. That's the way a church should be. No color. No color. No racial difference. Nothing. We are one in Christ. That picture they did not portray. That's where they feel. And you need to realize you don't keep the whole truth. You leave a chink over there. The devil will barge in through that and create division. So what do you happen? Churches are full. Full. Valley of dry bones. Who has taken over the talking points? The entire church of USA has come to a point that they are so dependent ultimately upon one man who we don't even know whether he reads his Bible. That is the plight of the church now. Because you denied the truth. Imagine the entire nation just founded for freedom of worship. Is entirely dependent now on this man loses in November. There is panic in the ranks of the churches. What will happen to us? Because the other party has already removed God from their their convention, everything. They don't want God at all. The, the, the report in one of the items which I read is that Christians are leaving in their droves out of the Democratic Party. Because they know this is a party anti-God. But what happens when they win? <laughs> you know the state of a church? Sad, right? You know why? Valley full. Are the churches full? Of course. Look at our stadium. 65,000, 35,000, 10,000. Oh, what are they preaching? Prosperity. It is not praise, proclamation or prayer. It is the world they preach. You preach the world, the world will take you. That is what happened. That's what God is talking about. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Final verse. 10, 19. Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Let me ask you this question. Can bones trample anything? Bones are trampled on. Like I said on Sunday in Hindi. Sometimes when you walk on the road, we trample upon bones. Who left the bones over? The dogs brought it and left it on the bones. And our bikes go over it, our cars go over it, our feet go over it. Why? Because you are just bones. Right? So if you are dry bones filling the churches, the valleys are full of dry bones, the devil is stamping all over you. He takes, he tells you what to do. He tells you what to do. He tells you when you can pray, where you can pray. Whether you will praise or not. 
He tells you. Now, he defines the narrative. But on the other hand, you are a living army with the breath of God. You trample upon snakes and scorpions. So the question is that, who is trampling upon whom? Who is trampling upon whom? Why? Because the church forgot the primary command of Jesus to his disciples. Occupy till I come. When are you coming, Lord? I will not tell you. What are we supposed to do? Occupy till I come. Till I come. That's what God is talking about. We have to occupy. We have to occupy. And God is showing us all these things through scripture. This is the way you do it. My people, a generation shall rise who will praise God. Who will put on the garment of praise. And when all these things happen, our praise will show them that the light of God is upon us. The people sitting in darkness. People sitting in darkness. Families praising. Individuals praising. Churches praising. No. Churches praising. We are not bothered if you don't allow us to meet. You only give us 45 minutes. It does not matter. Wherever we are, we'll praise you. We'll continue to preach. We'll continue to proclaim. We'll continue to pray. You cannot stop that. Why? Because I have breath. I have breath. But if you are not praising, if you are not proclaiming, if you are not praying, then you are George Floyd. You cannot breathe. You're one among those sad victims. The devil has got his knee on your neck. And you can't breathe. Because you can't praise. You can't proclaim. You can't pray. So who's got his knee on your neck? You are supposed to have your knee on his neck. You're supposed to have your feet on his neck. I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions. That the devil runs from your house, runs from your church, because the devil is saying, I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe here. He's got his feet on my neck. But if we are not able to praise and proclaim and prayer, then he's got his neck, feet on our neck. So this morning the Lord is saying, he said, don't take this lightly. This is war. When will this spiritual warfare end? He says, when I come down. Till then you will fight this battle. Till your last breath. And that's what Paul is talking about. I have fought that good fight. Sitting in prison in chains. Everybody will think about this as a fool. What are you talking about? I don't in chains. He says, that's my body. That's my body. If you in the spiritual realm, he says, if you have to look up, there is one place in Rome that's absolutely open. That's above myself. It's clear. Nothing stopping me communicating with God. It's absolutely clear. The rest is covered by darkness. This area is absolutely open heavens. You know why? Because I am trampling upon snakes and scorpions. They have no power over me. I have fought that good fight. Won my battle inside. Won my battle outside. This is open heavens. You know what, Timothy? Sitting here in chains, I can write you. What's happening? And God is saying, it's not Paul who's writing. It's my spirit writing. This will be there for all eternity. Because that's my free man sitting there proclaiming to the world to come. 
the truths of the eternal God. Because in prison, in chains, he could breathe. So all that has breath, praise the Lord. Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that people will arise upon whom you have already breathed, but they have forgotten who lives in them. A people who will praise, a people who will proclaim, a people who will pray. For your word says, all that has breath, let it praise the Lord. We are not defeated. We are more than overcomers. More than conquerors. That's the truth. If Christ lives in me, Christ can never be defeated. He is a man of war. From generation to generation, he has fought every battle. And he has won every battle. When Abraham went with 318 strange servants of his household, it was not he who led, it was you who led through Abraham. When the king and the general came and made peace with Isaac, it was because they saw the Christ in Isaac. When the terror of the Lord fell upon the people of Sichem and the plains, it was because they knew the God of Jacob was a man of war. When Pharaoh finally bent his knee before Moses, an old shepherd with a staff, and said, take your people and go and bless me also, it was because how God was a man of war. Joshua held the sun and moon in its place. It was because God was fighting on his behalf. You have never failed your people, though your people have failed you. We were called to breathe out your praise. We were called to proclaim your greatness and your might and your power and your goodness. We were called to pray and bring down the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, breathe once again upon your church. Everywhere. Everywhere, Lord, where they are hearing and will hear. Breathe upon your people. The breath of God. The very life of God. That life is the life that overcomes. Only that life can overcome. That is our breath. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Commit the rest of the day into thy hands. And I pray, Father, we'll praise you through it all. Thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.